we're live now. In fact, as we speak, as we're asking live now, what's up, people? Right. Let's roll. <laughs> Paying some bills. All right, what's up, people? This this episode, episode 48, can you believe it, is brought to you by Beach Volleyball National Events. Beach Volleyball National Events is the number one showcase in the United States of America. If you want your kid to get noticed, we have as many as 20 to 25 recruiters that come out to the seven showcases. Get your club, tell your mother, tell your father, send a telegram. Let's get with it. Beach Volleyball National Events. Come play with us. It's also brought to, you, brought to you by NY Varsity Sports. That's me. That's me, the NYV. Watching me, watching you. Got Brian McDermott in the house, ladies and gentlemen, and the episode starts right now. What's up, people? This is The Option. This is episode 48. You ask and you shall receive because for me, I've got to give the people, <laughs> give the people what they want. Brian McDermott, what's good, man? How much? How you doing today? I'm all right. A long night, but no regrets. You know, got good genes. Turned my big 50 last week. <laughs> Um, yeah, boy, happy birthday. So the cool thing is before we got on the podcast, we were talking about really cool volleyball wives and girlfriends and like we were watching <laughs> some of these AVPs and it's really nice to be able to do like a breakdown, you know, of, of the game player or, or, or volleyball psychology momentum with someone in the house of the same thing. And you're mentioned, you're mentioning she, she wanted to get back into it. So that's, I'm going to start yeah. that way I'll, because I do whatever I want. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we were talking about different commentators right now for the AVP, and Kristen and I have both played open level, and, and she's had a much better career, and she's still training a little bit. And so when we're watching, a lot of times what we're doing is, you know, we're looking at both sides and what they're doing and, and assessing. If we were in the situation where we were down, like what's the other team doing well? What would we try to do to stop that? If we see the other team struggling with something, like what are things they can maybe do to try and right the ship? So. A lot of times we're watching. It's one of my favorite parts this season with the AVP. Well, obviously, they'd like to have the fans in the stands. Having the camera and the mic in the box has been so cool because we train our own kids at our program. You know, we're always – every team you're playing is different. They've got different strengths and weaknesses, and we want to make sure that we're aware in real time. What is that team doing? What do they want to do? And how do we make it more difficult for them? So to be able to show them how some of the best coaches in the world kind of approach it the same way with the world-class athletes, um, that, that was a really cool experience. Yeah, it is a cool experience. Um, my um, girlfriend, same thing, longtime player, you know, won two state championships at uh, West Virginia um, High School in West Virginia, Parkersburg, when ended up um, getting recruited to Harvard to play volleyball and tennis. Nice. Um, actually, he's been into beach volleyball longer than me. I've been an indoor guy for 21 years, a player for 30. And we, we, we um, it's small world how we were in the same gym and cross paths probably more, more than one time that we'll get into later. And, um, What's um so let's talk about the weekend a little bit. We we um on my bro, on my my other podcast, Sports Debate Tuesday, one of the best commentators. We were like, who's the best uh new 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 person on the broadcast team? And you know, Misty May was very good. Dane Blanton's always good. Um, this guy, um, oh my goodness, Matty Bishop. Don't know where he came from. Uh, <laughs> obviously a local guy because I don't think you get into that without knowing someone. But but um sure. Yeah, they ain't pick his name out of a hat from the Midwest, right? So, so, but mine was Jeff Alzina, mine was for for reasons. What's yours? What's your and 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 who do you, who who did you like in the broadcast team? You can go random. Yeah, I mean, 
it was just good to hear from Misty again. You know, it's been a long time since she's been in the spotlight and you know, it, it, it's crazy to think it's been almost four years, really. I know she did a couple appearances as a player and still did very well, even though it was clear she was kind of taking a break from it. But, um, you know, everyone brings their own flavor. I think it was really I, – I'm a big fan of everything she did, and, and it was just good to kind of hear what she's doing a little bit and her perspective on things. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, Misty. May I, Jeff Alzino um, is more my kind of guy because he's um, um, about technique and about when the game is tight does somebody fall back onto something that they remember or do they fall fall back on something that they remember that doesn't work? You know, like someone gets aced maybe because they're facing this way, right? Doing this, both, both arms are this way. So now everything's facing upwards where if they're doing this, if they face their platform, this one goes down, this one goes up, this one goes down. So, so if they get aced on their left shoulder, do they step in and midline it or do they fix that to the angle of their platform or do they get into this kind of mode that we've seen at all levels? You, you don't expect to see on the professional level, but there you have it. Um, and that's one of the things I liked about Jeff. Like what's going to, he tells you what's going to happen two plays from now and like the second play, it happens. And I'm like, <laughs> He's, he's our Tony Romo, you know. He really is, dude. He he really is. He's um and he's been everywhere. If you looked at his title, sure. <laughs> his title was um, you know how some people are like they have their Instagram address or their whatever. His was coached at every level. <laughs> yeah. I remember um, when I was still competing and being a total volley dork. Like I'd be looking at the qualifiers and then trying to find people. I remember specifically when he was still playing. We were going out to Huntington Beach and and reading his bio, and I was like, man, this guy, not, what what doesn't he do? Like you say, he's he's done a lot of things both on and the, uh, out of the volleyball scene. So it was I'm cool actually, to see him coming back in. Oh, my God. I'm looking to see if I could actually find it, but nope. It's probably on his page. Yeah. I'll, um. So we um, you have – some some things you wanted to introduce um into the podcast you 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 had some stuff on your mind and we wanted to share and i'm hoping like a lot of times i'm steering but at any point you want to you want to come in and, and chime in the floor is yours on that okay we sure. we met well not met but we crossed paths you you played for a school called newberry with it and at the time you want to talk about right place right time and and a lot to do with you, you got all tournament team nekva all the way to the finals uh played vassar um, upset Nazareth. Um, was there any point in that tournament, like somewhere in the middle of it, that you you you're, you're telling your team and telling yourselves we're going to be knocked for champs? You know, we we believed we were going for a ring. I mean, we that team was a gritty team from day one. I mean, to to give perspective, we were the only us and Leslie were the only two programs. We didn't even have a gym on campus. So (laughs) we were going to Helena college, which was a mile down the road. It was a Greek Orthodox school. It was like a high school gym. But let me tell you, when you got 500 people in that place, it was loud. It was boom. We had such a nice home court advantage. Uh, But we were, I mean, thousand kids, small school. I mean, it was, it was, uh, the joke was who's Newberry. We kind of said ourselves. So we we but we had people that balled and and Coach Dave um, did a really good job of recruiting. He started with Ken McNeely two years before me. Uh, kind of took the team from I think they lost almost fifty five games over three years in a row, and he got hired at twenty two. He gets one big six six recruit. They win a couple games, get a bunch of other players. Jay Nev, uh, Eric Kostansky, win I think thirty games the next season, and then they brought in me and Mark Thomas. And then the following year, Matt Talamantes, who I think finished third all-time in NCAA. So we had the parts. Um, you know, we we didn't have the biggest size, but 
the coaches did a good job. We, we ran a pretty complex offense that year and um, had a good balance of veteran leadership and, and some young arms that could do a lot. Our, our second team with Josh Averly and uh, James Beck were, were de- deep. So our practices, some of our practices were more competitive, I would say, than, than 80% of our matches. So, you know, we, we always believed. We knew we were close. We lost to Vassar in five at their senior night. Um, so we knew we were close. And then the Nazareth game was we were down 13-10 in the fifth and gutted it out with a 5-0 run. And with um, a, a classic roof. I oh, mean, yeah. that thing. I mean, there's something cool about volleyball. Like when someone hits a ball really hard, but the, <laughs> the blocking technique is right. Yeah, I mean, you, dude, you want your ceiling ball? You're not gonna get it on. The, you're not gonna get it on a spike. You're gonna get. You're getting this one on a roof. It was. It's that sound. Boom. So, <laughs> for context, my, my best friend Josh Averly, I just stood up at his wedding. He was a freshman that year, and I was starting at op. But a lot of times, he he was six one with over a forty inch vertical. And literally, when we had a big outside, we knew we were going to feed and we had set point. Coach would sub me out. And you could feel the energy, like all the kids like on the team knew, like, oh, Josh is going to get him. And it was like that ball got set and you saw Josh line him up and you just knew. And, uh, yeah, that was that was goosebumps. It was, it was That was one of the coolest moments of, uh, of our season, no doubt about it. Yeah, I stuck around for that. At, at that time, I was the head coach at City College trying to – Turn I remember. trying to turn Harlem kids into into volleyball players. We're trying. They showed up. <laughs> well, yeah, we qualified, right? There's only 16 exactly. spots, and um, um, we played Vassar first. You know, games. If you yeah. remember, games were up to 30. Back oh then, yeah, I remember. Instead of 25, my, my knees and, um, still feel it. <laughs> and something a lot of people don't, won't remember was we were up, um, 23-21 the first set and 24-18 the second set on Vassar. You know, nice. and you know, you lose in three. People don't remember that, but coaches remember that because my um my best player, Chris Avila, is a longtime stellar player, um New York legend, got injured before the CUNYs, before the CUNY semifinals, and then I had a uh, an Oppo in a middle who's six ten, lefty, hits both hands. He penetrated on a ball, and then he comes to me and he shows me his hand. Oh, <laughs> his, no. Coach, is this normal? Does this look right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I got one so, of those myself. I think most volleyball players yeah. so, got at um, least one digit a little off. Yeah, so CUNY has their own channel on TV or whatever, and they were interviewing me, and they're like, so who's your best player? Who's your best um, offensive player? And I'm like, Chris Avila is a good player. And they're like, um, how do you think he'll do this weekend? I'm like, well, he's, he's injured. He's not going to play. And they're like, well, who's up next? I said, my second best player, you know, 10th uh, in the nation in blocks per game because he can't teach height, you know. <laughs> Guy was a little bit academically slow, but those are the ones you want to coach because they keep it simple. They ain't trying to grow a brain. Um, and <laughs> – and, if you're at City College and you're in pre-med or you're in the engineering program or if you're in the Sophie Davis School of Medicine, you you can't, you know, the student definitely comes before the student athlete. So big up to that kid. Sure. I'm teasing him. But um, and they're like, so so how do you think he's going to do? I'm like, he's, he's here, too. And they're just like, OK, do we even finish the interview? And I'm like, do what you got to do, guys, you know. Look, you, you want your franchise players, but it takes more than two. I mean, yeah. you got to have people around them. That was what made... Vassar, yeah. obviously, like Toli Machucci, Yekasenich setting. Mm-hmm. And then you had Gunta, um, that, that that libero was just an animal. I yeah. mean, they, they, had, they could have lost one or two players, and they still would have well, been they in did. contention. They yeah. did. If you remember, they ran a non-traditional offense at Ooh, Yeah, I remember. They, um, 
I like John Penn. John Penn is like, listen, we, we don't have to stick an outside hitter in the middle. <laughs> We're just gonna our our six three setter who's got like um had like a six 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 wingspan. They put the setter in the middle. I think they put um who's the middle guy the guy again Tucci? Mitucci. Yeah. Um put him opposite. So when he's middle, he's 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 hitting, and when the setter's front row, he's just blocking middle and setting out of the wings, and and everybody's like, this ain't gonna work, and he's like, of course it's gonna work. <laughs> the blocker still you still have to move the middle blocker left and right, no no one way or another. So sorry. Well, the engine that made it go was the, the passing. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, we were I think five of our guys jump served with pretty good location, mm -hmm. and in nine sets that that season, we had one ace on them. I mean, they, yeah. they're. You can run that offense when everyone's in system when the pass and sets there. And even if the pass is a little off, mm -hmm. Johnny was going to clean it up. I mean, Johnny, not only was he super good, his IQ is through the roof. It wasn't, I think, two or three years later that he took a set off Gibb and Rosie at the yep. uh, Muskegon AVP. So yep. and that's, made me feel that, a little less bad about it. And He's for the people nice listening, guy. that's the worst part. I couldn't get mad about uh, it. No. And for the people listening, they're like, oh my God, you're in a podcast. Dude, why are you talking about D3 Volleyball? Why? Because D3 Volleyball, we, we have, there's a lot of professional contracts and Jonathan Penn got ABC at Coach of the Year. Okay. So that was, that wasn't Division Three Coach of the Year. That was, that was for everything before there was a Division One, Two, and Three Coach of the Year. Okay. That's the second thing. Third, Vassar, uh, when John Penn, I think, was an assistant there, I mean, he wasn't the head coach, is the only Division three, uh, three program to make the EIVA finals. Um, NYU made the semifinals on 2008, lost to Penn State, um, who won right. the whole thing. When they when they beat St. Francis, they knew, wait, wait, our team's got legs because we never beat St. Francis. Um, and Vassar, 1994, Brent Starks, an amazing oppo, um, uh, made it to the EIVA finals, Co coincidentally lost to Penn State, coincidentally uh, won the whole thing. Penn State beat UCLA in five. And then the team that NYU lost to in the EIVA semifinals uh, won, won the NCAAs as well. That was 2000, um, 2008, 2008 or 2009 or whatever have you. Well, Anderson was still there. Yeah, Matt Anderson, yeah. Uh, just tough guy to stop, man. Tough guy. I mean, the guy, think about a guy that does everything with his left hand except play volleyball. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he's the guy that, his biggest dirty little secret is he's, he's, he's not right-handed. He's left-handed. He only plays right-handed volleyball. So. It's interesting. <laughs> isn't it? So. So, oh, here it is. Here's the picture. Did I show you the picture yet? Here it is. Jeff Alzina. Got to do this just for fun. I <laughs> just got to laugh. Uh, where is it? <laughs> nice let's let's zoom that in <laughs> listen california is big on labels okay this guy's a triple this guy's open that guy just got his double this this guy's a four-star coach look at that title <laughs> sums it up what kind of boss <laughs> what kind of be... boss is heading says volleyball coach on every level <laughs> i hope his linkedin profile says that oh i hope so too in fact <laughs> We got to start a hashtag VB coach on every level. Every, <laughs> and so this way it's identified as Jeff Alzina. So um, let's, I wanted to delve into your past and then I'm going to give you the steering wheel. I'm going to give you the floor um, as far as what's going on. Cause I want to talk about your, 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 you have a volleyball, uh, beach volleyball program in Chicago, mm -hmm. right? Um, yep. Tell me the name again. It's, it's, it's written here, but better than coming from you. <laughs> uh, progression beach volleyball. Progression beach volleyball. Nice mm -hmm. progression. Yeah. Volleyball. Our so goals, cool. our goals, simple. We want to make sure that every single kid gets the same opportunity for development, whether they're college bound, we got plenty of those kids. And then we've got kids that are as five, five, 95 pounds with a size 12 shoe going into high school. So the kids are more built like me, like 
we, we work with them too. Everyone gets the same coaches, the same system, and we, we cater the practices to what they need. Yeah, we ain't trying to talk Kent here, man. We're trying to talk about how. Uh, Ken's, to us, Ken's already there. It's about the how, and I really, really uh, respect that. Um, I noticed um, when this whole COVID thing hit, you um, had the opportunity on phase four to go big groups, but chose to go smaller groups, more personal attention. Is that COVID related or was that because you, you oh, were changing absolutely. change or was that or is there a change in your mission? So when when July hit and we were able to go to phase four, um, you know, I saw a lot of groups and I heard, you know, a lot of my kids for context, they can play for other clubs. They can play other sports like we schedule month to month. Typically, when COVID hit we and we reopened, we went week to week because I knew people's schedule was changing. I want to make sure that we could be flexible. Um, that's something that we really try and, and separate ourselves by doing. So July hit and all my kids are starting to come into practice. They're back to six times a week. You know, you got your high schools that are starting up their optional camps. Again, you got your clubs that are trying to recoup, um, instead of the, the time that they had from March and April that they lost, they're trying to make that time up. And, um, you know, the other thing is they were talking about, there really wasn't a change in regards to the, the mitigation risk policies. People were not getting the sanitation opportunity. The, the enforcement of social distancing wasn't being done as much. So for me, I, I called the health department. I, I call them regularly to just kind of get their perspective on things. And I asked, I said, from the change of phase three to four, was there anything from a health perspective, any research or anything that changed the stance on the social distancing, the safety protocols? And they said, no, to be honest, it's strictly economical. Um, we had gotten the cases to drop a little bit. And so we were at a point where it wasn't as risky to have groups that were of a little larger size. We still encourage people to constantly sanitize, wear a mask, uh, six feet apart, et cetera. Um, so that was the only change. So for me, with, with it being doubles anyways, um, the number one thing in our mitigation plan was we want to limit the amount of people that each individual comes into contact with, right? So normally in the summer, we would have them sign up individually. We would max out every court at eight kids. Um, and we'd split them up by level. So we only did private groups of four. So we either signed up in a group of four or you were a person or a pair that needed to pair up with other people. We made sure the parents got to know each other, that they were comfortable, that they understood that, that we're gonna take every precaution possible. We're gonna change out every set of equipment, the chairs, the tables, the volleyballs between every practice. We'll put 15 minutes in between practices to make sure we're not crossing paths. You know, we'll, we'll temp check, we'll sanitize, and get after getting off the court. So we did everything we could to mitigate risk, but it's never going to be 100%. And um, I'm okay with the reality that that um, it's not necessarily the numbers I want, but I'm glad that our kids, even if there was a positive case, really we probably wouldn't be in too difficult of a position in regards to being able to, to contact trace because we're not all crossing paths too much. So that's been, been two months in. It's gone really well. The kids are getting a ton of individual attention. I've always got an extra staff member um, for sanitation purposes so that practice doesn't start if they need to do anything. But we've been using them as a second coach when they've not been needed, which is 99% of the time. So the kids are getting so much individual attention. And it's been fun to watch from week to week the progress. You know what? Well, damn, bro. I I, I could have just took the first half of this podcast and just chopped it off because now we're talking we're talking real stuff here. I just I'm having a little fun, but this is look okay. I'm I'm half kidding. It's real, uh, but on a serious level, I like 
I'm glad you said that because I think other coaches are looking for ideas, all right? Uh, you did the right thing. You went in constant communication with the health department. So now they know you on a first name basis. So as far as sports is concerned, my guess is it's, it's, at some point they're going to refer to you and ask you how you're doing and do things like that. That's what's happening with local police departments in Manhattan Beach, uh, Hermosa Beach, and Redondo Beach to get some of these girls back on the beach, okay? Make sure the parents are, are not there or make sure they're they're, they're wearing a mask. And, and, and the, weird, the weird thing is for beach volleyball, the parents, then it's not like the parents are sitting on top of the court anyway you know i mean it's nothing not for the people listening at home and and brian here uh coach mcdermott knows this for the people listening at home there's a difference between indoor parents and outdoor parents okay indoor parents you guys are a bunch of gangster rappers you're walking around with a big mean mean look on your face mean mugging everybody you know why is my kid playing score change score change score we're well, outdoor scores I mean, yeah i mean <laughs> no but outdoor come on these women are chilling these fathers are chilling. They're eating sweet potato fries. They got a little wine on the side. You know, <laughs> do you want to eat lunch? Leave me alone, ma. I mean, it is just a different environment. And and beach chairs are, are, I mean, the better views from a distance anyway. So, I mean, if you think about our sport, just like tennis and just like uh, other sports that have minimal, uh, uh, I was going to say combatants because I'm an MMA guy, but minimal contestants um, is doable. Um this is very, very important, what you just said. This is very, very important. If, if, if anyone in this podcast only listened to this one part, good to go. Because de- pe- people, Brian, desperately are looking for um, just easier uh, ways. Because there are two realities. One, we know staying home and not leaving and not, not doing these things is the, the absolute safest way to go. But that's one reality. This is your second reality that, that a lot of people, a lot of our friends, unfortunately, this is a humanitarian thing that's been hijacked by politics. Um, here's the other reality. Not, you're not going to stand, be, you're not going to hide behind your door until a vaccine comes, okay? That's the other reality. A vaccine will take as much as a year, which really, which with, if done right, really a year and a half for one strain, that may or may not work for that one strain. Not even the other two that are that are coming. I had a a, um, a lab rat. One of my friends. She's she's an infection. She's into infectious diseases and medical laboratory sciences. But her job is to improve vaccines and medications uh, for the FDA. You know, to vet the process and make it whatever. And she's telling me it's going to be a while. But but they're she says they're close. But close still means a year. So we're not. Well, again, coach, we're not thinking can't. We're thinking okay can, but how. Um, right. I'll give you another example. UFC, Dana White. Big pair of balls between that guy's legs, right? <laughs> Fight Island, for Christ's sakes. Uh, and some stuff in Vegas. But um, eight-week training camps for fighters. Six to eight-week training camps. Um, coaches, maybe amount to six. Nutritionist, uh, head coach, jiu-jitsu coach, boxing, wrestling coach. Maybe I'll rounds out to about six to eight people. They're together. They're not bringing their families. Only the big dogs bring their families, Okay. So for eight weeks, you test three times. At some point, COVID's going to come up. And if anyone, the coaches to the, to the fighter has it, fights off. And that's the way Dana did it. They tested multiple times. They, they have uh, an arena with no fans, just like you said, just staff and personnel only. And I think out of close to 200 fights, they've had three cases, you know, and only one of them was a fighter. So, so it was something that they found a way to do. Tennis is another sport, right? Uh, competitors on opposite sides of the court. The referees on a high chair. Okay, the the um, commentary team is literally in a bunker. 
all right? Not figuratively in a bunker. <laughs> a bomb can hit, okay? Tennis players <laughs> dead. Referee blown off his high chair. Who survives? John McEnroe and Patrick McEnroe and whoever that chick is that's with him, it sounds like, that has like a dude's athletic voice because I love girls. I love girls that have that that kind of, you know, let's evacuate these bitches voice. You know, you know, you know they play sports. So, <laughs> so, um, Special kudos, and, and, and I'll give you the floor, but I really, I really love, uh, I, I, I want to hear more examples of coaches and people like you from different regions that are finding the way to make this work. You know, one of the things that, that you brought up was the UFC, and, and the challenge for youth sports is like all these pro sports have access to testing that we don't, can't even fathom. Like one of the issues we have in our area is you can go get tested for free. If you're high priority if you've got health issues then you're on the fast track which is six to ten days before you get a result yeah so you know ufc nba nfl mlb they're all able to test daily on site and get quick results and that's not something that's accessible to the general public so we have to be that much more cautious compared to them in the aspect that we don't have the same ability to kind of monitor who's bringing possibly something in and who isn't and that's one of the concerns. Like I went this weekend to watch two of my players play. I, I, at the end of the day, um, I've got some players that decide they want to play weekend tournaments. And, you know, I always tell them to try and, and practice the same things we do inside. I can't stop them from doing it. And I, I was the only one on site I saw with a mask. There was at least 150 people uh, surrounding 10 courts. It's like a zombie um, apocalypse. A, you know, well, it's the, the truth is, is I think a lot of events have happened. And it's early on still. I mean, they've got 4.5 million cases confirmed. So that's still only about one and a half percent, a little less than of the, the population. So people are doing these events. And at the time that someone isn't infecting. And so everyone's kind of like, okay, this is this, maybe this isn't as big of a deal. Maybe this is overblown. And you're going to see it. We saw that study that just came out from Georgia, that uh, overnight camp, where they tested, I think, 300-something kids, and 76% of those cases came back positive. That was one overnight thing. So we just have to be, it's not, I, I feel like there's a lot of people that say you're either, you know, you want to quarantine and shut down the economy, or you want to reopen up. And I think it doesn't have to be one side versus the other. We can absolutely, we have to open up. These kids are going to go crazy if they don't. But are we doing all the simple things? social distancing, constant sanitation, spread everyone out six feet. Um, you know, we have a sport where we should be capable of doing it, but are the leaders actually enforcing it? I think that's what at least our governor is seeing as an issue and why they're kind of putting the clamp on us for this fall, because even when we have the opportunity to be open safely, some people are just being a little bit negligent on it. Yeah, there's an old saying, if you don't behave like adults, the government will treat you like children. All right, so... Um... I mean, we, we got scared to death earlier in the spring when we saw a, a video on the news and the newspaper article of Florida um, looking like spring break. I mean, I, at, the, at the time, I thought it was spring break and everybody was like, every beach in California was like, Shukung, you're shut down. <laughs> Shukung, you're shut down. Shukung, mm -hmm. it's barricaded off. Do you know police line? Do not cross. It looked like a damn crime scene, you know, for for Christ's sakes. And 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 you're right. It it, it it's the behavior of of a few to many that that has that has shaped how we're we're doing our sh our, our shutdown and preventing uh, these phases. 
these these um phases that are backed by a, a, a ton of science because the guys in that field that's all they're doing my guess is they're dropping everything they're doing and they're finding ways to you know to understand this thing and when you understand it you know the risk and then you assume the and then you assume the risk because it, that's what america's about right i mean if you're free if if it's your constitutional right to protest you know and that breaks social distance and no one says, says anything about that um then why not why not have a volleyball game where people are being more responsible <laughs> you know and i mean i don't know if that was a i saw it on the news i don't know if that was a political argument not or or a humanitarian argument i mean you can pick your channel which one you get your news from or which one is you 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 watch just for satire if if you if we if we watch them at all anymore um but i will tell you this the problem the the, the obstacle okay we got good goals and we got good tactics the obstacle it's politics, my man. the The obstacle is, uh, you know, what causes a false a false dichotomy? Either it's all open or, or or it's all shut. That's not a humanitarian false dichotomy, my man. Uh, that's not. Um, that's politics. Pa- partisan. Listen, partisan uh, patterns. They they create patterns that make people f- um, fall into these these slots. Um, that's detrimental to dialogue. And if you don't have dialogue, uh, I mean, it, it it slows everything down. You know, and that's the problem. I mean, going off on my little spiel, but what it is, what it is. That's all. But that's also a reality, right? I mean, uh, this is we have to take politics out of humanitarian efforts. All right, uh, um, whatever BLM, to, in my opinion, is a is a humanitarian effort. It's not, you know, a politician. I mean, nobody, you know, no, I, I mean, a black guy who's being unfairly incarcerated or, or killed. Uh, my guess is you don't know if he's a Democrat or Republican. You know, I'm, I'm if, and in light of the fact that most of this country doesn't vote at all, I mean, what the, you know, what the hell does politics have to do with these things? We got, we have to, we have to do a better job um, addressing each other as human beings and having a dialogue and, and anything that gets in the way of that. Uh, that's that's what's got to lose, not the people, not us. Yeah, I I think that's one of the big issues right now is it's become one side versus the other side. And, you know, we live in this era where at any point you could go on the Internet and find something that is going to come off as a sor- credible source that mm-hmm. will make you feel justified in your opinion. And it's just not the way it really is now. And especially with what we've got going on, it doesn't have to be like you said, like it's either shut everything down or reopen. The challenge right now is we've been doing this for four to five months and there's not a lot of leadership in regards to, okay, if we're going to reopen here are basic protocols that absolutely have to be followed in order to mitigate the risk. Mm-hmm. You, know, you bring up the point about the protests um, and the difference between that between a volleyball game and I don't want to get too political on it, but I, I, it's not that the spaces, I mean, Fauci himself said that any public, you know, grouping is going to prevent, you know, promote higher risk. So it wasn't condemning the actions. I mean, those are people that feel like they got nothing to lose anyways, and they feel like they are voices are not being heard and they're trying to have it be heard. To me, whether what, what my opinion is on it or not, that's part of having that right. And they're putting themselves at risk to do it that way. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, for us playing a volleyball game, like hitting a little ball over the net, I coach volleyball because I like to teach life lessons. You know, at the end of the day, whether they win or lose, if we're teaching them how to work better with others, in my opinion, youth sports for many of these kids is their first experience with failure. Two teams going for for one victory. 
the supply never exceeds the demand and teaching these kids when the first time that they they fall short of what they want and how to bounce back from that how to to go for the next goal move on to the next play how do you learn from those challenges you hope that that it doesn't just teach them things about how to play a game but we're teaching them lessons that are going to help them with their education with their relationships with their careers right and i i i'm not going to pushback but i'm going to bounce back by saying if um something's if we're citing that something's your right as a pretext um then that's a flat line they're they're both your right protesting's your right playing volleyball's your right um if we're going to cite what's essential and what's a non-essential as a pretext i would suggest to you that mental health is is not on the same level not not even not in the same field not even the same freaking sport as as your physical safety and your physical health but these things are important too and this i mean this is why the nba has a bubble right now congratulations to them so far no positive test um that's why the ufc is whatever i think your 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 mental and your state of mind is important i'll give you a great example 9 11 um not comparing people who didn't have a choice but to be killed uh to as uh, opposing um people you know, who, who make these irresponsible choices that lead to the sickness, if not the deaths of others. When 9-11 hit, um, the New York Yankees, when they, they brought sports back, they, sports is gone, the football's gone, you know, uh, everything, everything was a little grinding halt. I was in New York. I was living in Queens at the time. It got so expensive, I moved to the city, but that's a whole nother story. That's, that's, <laughs> that's Forest Hills for you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> when the Yankees started playing again, and... The, asked, uh, um, the Oakland A's were up 2-0. Jared Jeter did that, that freak play, right? He's playing out of position. Stopped the guy from scoring. <laughs> Yankees came back, won the next three. All of a sudden, the ratings, everyone started watching. And then they beat, C- I be- at least believe, Seattle. Wound up against the Diamondbacks. They did a documentary about this thing. It inspired um, and, and just gave uh, us, the New York population, and then later, the nation the entire country, this form of escapism. I mean, because it's not healthy to, to watch the news day by day by day by day after what, what happened at 9-11. It's, I mean, you you have to be informed, and I know journalists are always saying they want to do their job, but come on, when sweep sweeps come and they're making some cash off of this, they're thinking about their money too, okay? So I'm, I'm not trying to, um, whatever, vilify, vilify people for doing their job, but... I would suggest mental health and a form of escapism from this, from your bullshit reality. Because, and I'm not saying this is bullshit, but oh God, I'm feeling like, oh, this is bullshit. Um, is holds a level of importance. I wouldn't dare, Brian. I wouldn't dare hold it in the same magnitude uh, as your 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 physical safety and your physical health. I, I ain't trying to do that. I'm just saying that it is. Um, because your mental health is a or your your physical health is a priority, this is, doesn't get its due attention. And I, that was just and, high, and I was just highlighting that. And how cool is it that we are lucky to have a sport that, with two on two capabilities, we could do it in truly a way that that gets that sweet spot of giving them the, those opportunities to play. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you, in May, I was definitely at one of my lower points about it, and I'm sitting here like. Well, how am I getting up for, for teaching volleyball with what's going on right now? And then you get on the court with the kids and you see for two hours that with all the crap that they're dealing with that I know how difficult it is in my 30s, let alone how it's going to be as a teenager. And and for two hours, they can just go back to, to the reality they knew before. Um, that's when we kind of realized that now I think there's a happy medium. And I think that's the challenge. I, I agree. I'd love to see the beaches in California open. 
Um, I don't want to get too much on the political side. Simply put, I would feel a lot more empathetic on the restrictions I've seen if when I saw people doing certain activities that they were being a little more cautious because the truth is I, my favorite analogy so far I've seen, it's kind of like suicides, right? One person doesn't touch the line. We're all going back and doing it again. Yep. Let's and go. That's kind of my perspective on it. More so than 25 I'm, seconds again. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, that's the, that's the main thing is like, I'm, I'm glad that we're starting to see more and more models. It's not just our program. There's, I know there's a couple clubs in the area that have been doing more grass and they've been setting the courts up further apart. Um, you know, you've seen a lot that have been able to, to keep the numbers lower, which again, for a lot of these kids is awesome. They get more individual attention than when we're slamming 10 plus kids on a court. So, um, you know, I'm, I know I've been lucky enough to write for the Aspen Institute and kind of give a little bit of a blueprint of how we're doing things. And it's been cool to see other organizations are, are doing the same. So we're all trading, trading notes to figure out how, how do we reset? How do we create that, that escapism that you're looking for in a manner that isn't going to potentially you know, elongate how long we have to do this. Yeah. And let me tell you something. When your escapism becomes your career, I don't think there there there's a better set of human beings that spend that think about this twenty four seven. You know, I mean the ideas must be respected and shared and feedback and, and I think collectively we all grow on that. Um what grade do you give your governor? Huh. Handling this whole thing. I think it's a little too early to do any grading. I'm not here to to judge what people are doing because yeah, we're gonna see we're, we're still in the first quarter, you know, yeah. for volleyball, we even got to the technical timeout. Like there's a lot of things we have to figure out. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing I do respect is, is they didn't just say you can't open. Right. Um, when, when the IHSA just shut down in the fall, the government, the governor said, here's the sports that are high risk here. Are the ones that are medium here, are there are ones that are low. And for the ones that are high risk, these are the part, um, these are the things you can do as a sport for the ones that are medium. So the one thing, whether you agree with it or not, that I respected is unlike the places where I'm seeing people like, hey, you need to do this and figure it out on your own. You know, they're, they're putting certain things in front of us, but they're giving us kind of like these are the things you could do within these parameters, which um, as long as it's not beyond what the health department's recommending and and it seems to be aligned with that, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. So. We, we've been open again for over two months and that's gone pretty well so far and we haven't really had any issues on our end and anytime I've needed to call the health department, they've been accessible. So from my personal experience, um, we're, we're okay. Yeah. You had an interview in Volleyball Magazine um, that was entitled Parents and Players Pleads Holds Us Accountable. Good read. Aspen Institute. Good read. That was Aspen Institute? Okay, mm -hmm. cool. I just thought maybe Travis Muirwitter might have <laughs> might have reached out to you or something. You know Travis? Yeah. Yeah, man. Of course. Guy can write, he's, man. The guy can he's write. He's the muse. He's the homer of the volleyball community. He really is, man. He's um, he, the guy breathed life into that magazine, you know, and, and big up to him. Shout out saying, Sandcast, yeah. wherever you guys are, you know. The AVP's needed storylines. The AVP has needed to give players a a personality so that when future players and fans are watching it's not just that they're watching good volleyball they they are emotionally attached to who's winning the point who's losing the point and i felt that way for a long time and i felt like travis was the first one to come that had both the the writing acumen to make it sound right mm -hmm. as well as the passion for volleyball and to really teach us about players and um i'm, I'm appreciative of that 
Yeah, I love the articles that he writes that are relatable too. When he made the main draw, there there are some players you know that you feel like you're not part of the clique, and you you're in the volleyball tent, you're in the draw, and you kind of feel like an imposter, you know, like because everyone knows each other, and then and it's like you feel like you walk in a room, and I feel like the room's dead silent, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe because your 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 subconscious messes with you, and and he said just after making the draw multiple times, he felt less and less like an imposter, um, <laughs> and I share his sentiment because I was doing some analytics and some coaching for Rafa Rodriguez. I've been doing it for quite some time. I met him through Kevin McCulloch, um, Kevin and Ali, and. When he, because Kevin and Rafa were playing together, 2016. So I wanted to play one before I got too old, right? I'm 47. And um, he invited me and Rob McLean, my, my tag team partner for the um, sports debate show. Uh, my partner, my real partner, couldn't do it. I'm like, you're an idiot. We just got invited <laughs> by Rafa Rodriguez and Kevin McCulloch to, to, to train in Temecula. All right, sure. so his boss is for Viper Sports. He's, he was the head coach of Viper Sports. His boss has a mansion. And in the back of the mansion is this volleyball court being raked by the, by the butler and the staff. They have a hot <laughs> tub next to it. And you got great competition. We're, two ideas. I mean, two hours, we're just going to share ideas on drills, this and that, what works, what doesn't, the four of us. Kevin was more, more the leader because he, you know, Kevin doesn't wait for everybody to say, what do you want to do? He says, no, nah, this is how we're going to do it. And then all four of us shot ideas. And at the end, we played King, um, three games of 15. Um, I won't reveal who won, but uh, <laughs> let's, just, let's just say out of the four of us, you'd be surprised. And I will say it wasn't me. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. Hunger is a real thing, though. But from that point on, I asked Rafa if I could just do a pull chart for him, you know, transition chart numbers and this and that. A couple of years later, him and Ed, they win. You know, I'm, 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 I'm happy he won the AVP. Um, yeah. Kevin's Alley's assistant. She got the job at UC Davis um, for women's beach volleyball, Ali McCulloch. So they moved out there. And, um, and I don't even remember my point anymore. <laughs> Um, good, man. I want to, nah, you know what the hell with that. I want to bounce back that you um, were feeling discouraged because you felt everything was about income versus outcome. Um, take take the audience listening to the point where I'm giving you, or if you have to go before that point and then, and then steer us back on this sure. highway, floor is yours. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm running my own program. I run beach and a lot of my kids play for other programs. So, um, you know, June hit, and everyone was phase three, so 10 or less. So even when the clubs were starting to run the kids, it was all, you know, very isolated things, not too, you know, extensive with the cardio, what they're doing. One of the things every webinar um, that was dealing with bringing back youth sports stress is we have to coach the kids in front of us. You know, some of these kids have been off for two and a half months. And you hope that some were able to stay in shape. Some of our kids came back in incredible shape. So they were putting the work in. Some family situation, you know, they might have had to, to do more around the house. They may have had, to, you know, they were essential workers. They were some of the people with our groceries and, and deliveries and stuff like that. So, you know, we had to be easing them back in. So for us, like, you know, with every group, we kind of went over the fundamentals again and, and you know, kind of got them going simple. By week three, we were starting to do more full speed games. And by week four, I mean, you could see... The, the, the progress, not just in the physical mechanics and the mental IQ, but like just playing some of their best ball at the end of the practice. And then July hit and um, kids started coming in and, and not a lack of effort and not a lack of want, but they just were dragging and, and really lucid. I mean, it was, it, they were struggling to get up. Um, and you'd come to find out that some of them are, are doing one day at their high school and one day at their club. Some of them are doing two days at their club. 
um, you know, they're, they're back to full speed games and stuff like that. They're, they're going, these, they're playing these tournaments on the weekends to make up for tournaments in, in March, April. So, so on top of the fact that, A, we're just burning them out. I mean, I've got 11 and 13 year olds that are dealing with shoulder pain, knee issues, which, you know, all the sports science says we're, we're already overtraining them. Um, we should be giving them four months off per sport um, to give them a little less impact on their joints. Um, so that being said, um, you know, you, you start talking to the kids, you're asking them questions, and a lot of them are, are telling me about how they're not getting the social distancing. Coaches aren't wearing masks. Um, in some cases, you've got um, a, a director telling the parents that there was a positive case and not going through their mitigation plan pro- protocol and doing contact tracing. They just stopped for one day and then started up. Yeah, the next gave day. gave no further information. 24 hours um, later, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, it, it's not, I, I get frustrated sometimes when we're having some conversations on certain forums about this, because immediately some people will, will attack and say, you, you know, we, we can't have the problem worse than the solution, um, or the solution can't be worse than the problem. We can't be possibly um, shutting things down. Business has got to survive. I'm, I empathize with that. But let's find a happy medium. How do we provide competitive opportunities for these kids without jeopardizing, you know, having to start over again? And, um, you know, I I only got 30, 40 kids in my program. And the amount of stories I heard um, and things going on in in the other programs, you just couldn't help but feel like at some point the cases are already starting to rise in our state again. and, And they're worried that youth sports and having these travel tournaments and a lot of kids spreading with a lot of people, it, it's just high risk if in the event that that some positive cases start making their way into the community. Yeah. You know, as a native New Yorker, I was scared for a lot of my friends. And, and, and I mean, at this point, uh, because we have a large circulation of friends, colleagues, associates, coaches, commentators, uh, players of all ages, it's only a matter of time you have a, you run into someone you know that tested positive. <laughs> Right. You know, one of my closest friends, long, long time friend, Bernard Norman, he's a musician now. Um, yeah, you did one of your last interviews. Yeah, with him, right? he's yeah. he I just did that for fun. They're like sometimes sure. like my podcast has um, an, an overall super agenda where we it puts me in a position where I can have exactly what we have now. We, we we're, 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 we're trying to make people better versions of ourselves. We're trying to make people, we're trying to have healthy dialogue. We're trying to avoid false dichotomies. We're trying to avoid uh, bandwagon fallacies. The premise is popular, so it must be right. We're trying to avoid um, attacking someone's character and as opposed to attacking someone's argument. So there's a general set of rules. I just want everybody to come. And that's my, my little secret thing that everybody's, because everyone's like, why are you doing this? What does it promote? What is it about? Like, it's about everything. But burn, come on, that's this is a guy if you listen to him just the first 15 minutes i'm just having fun i had you have no idea what was in this glass before that (laughs) podcast so he survived it but he was in harlem hospital and everybody in new york knows when you wind up at harlem hospital you can go there you can go in there the cold and wind up dead okay Uh, um you can you know the flu pneumonia uh, or other things that are flu like or virus like that um, you're wondering if they're doing their job and if they're taking care of you, uh, taking care of you. So he wound up at Harlem Hospital. I'm like, please come out alive. <laughs> My man lives. So he, you know, he's a COVID survivor. So 
I have a scare for. Sh- I mean, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because Chicago is, as far as a dense population is, con- is concerned, I'm sure you had similar concerns. Hermosa Beach, no. I mean, we, we, we. I don't. I think maybe we had one death, but and we had a few cases, and we had a small spike because people in the Strand were were being, you know, were against each other, and all the, a lot of these red-blooded Americans are just like, it ain't gonna affect me. I'm fine. Virus ain't go. Good for you. Good for you, Dick. You know, okay, you're fine. You're going to live. How about the person that you're going to give it to, you know? Um, um, yeah. But it's like you said once, one, uh, and I'm, I'm bringing it back. Trust me. The, bef- before I bring it back, I wanted to say there's a huge misunderstanding about the mask. Like, even me, because um, I'm in this environment. I'm in la-la land. I thought in the beginning the mask was there to protect you from getting it, but that's not what the mask was designed for. The mask is to prevent you from giving it to someone if you have it. I only found that out a couple of months ago. So so there are a lot of people who are still misinformed. Like the guy's like, oh, he's, he's got a mask, I'm good. Because in his mind, he's miseducated on the facts. Or, or, or sorry, the, um, the heavy opinion based on scientific fact. I'll say that, not fact. Um, it is, it is a, the opinion of many scientists and doctors that wearing the mask helps you prevent it from giving it. So you understand what I'm saying? There are some people that don't wear the mask because they're miseducated. That they, they, they think if you have one and they don't, they're safe. They only only like one of the two people have to have it. So, which brings me back oh. to Chicago. Um, there is a concern because of a dense population that I mentioned from New York all the way up to this point. Go ahead. Well, let let, let me hit something that you talked about, and then we'll go to Chicago. So to go back to the thing about like the guy that that doesn't take it seriously, and you're like, all right, well. You know, you're not considering other people. You hit the nail on the head. Like everyone's getting different perspectives from from different people with different agendas. And so the problem is, is instead of sitting here and acting like one side is infinitely right and one side's infinitely wrong, yeah, like we should be taking a step back and saying these leaders that are supposed to be working together to figure out what's best for us collectively. That's what we need to be. And and the problem is, is they're not going to be held accountable by us because we're busy fighting amongst ourselves. So. I never look at someone like even people that say things that are complete polar opposite of my belief while, while at surface level, it, it, you know, it, my knee jerk reactions to be offended or, or even bothered by it. Then you take a step back and you just say they, they are not coming from the same set of circumstances, the same set of, of education, you know, and it's not about right or wrong. It's just, they're getting different data that that's forming their opinion. And so, Again, it's it's you hope that at some point as a nation we realize it's not helping us to to point the finger. Like we're, we're athletes, we work with teams, right? If you got two groups on the team that aren't getting along, we we still have to figure a way to get them to buy into one philosophy and work together to one goal. Or we're gonna and lose. Or we're gonna lose big. And instead, you've got a coach, you know, two associate head coaches that are basically pointing fingers at the opposite sides of the team. I mean, no leadership would ever succeed in athletics that way. And yet that's what we're seeing within our, our society. So we got to stop looking at it as one half of our country is the good side and one half is the bad side. Well, we got to look at it as we are all on the same team, whether we're acting like it or not. And the sooner that we start trying to figure out how to collectively work together to find the, the, the best balance possible to get through this for all of us, mm-hmm. the sooner we're going to get to actually have conversations that are meaningful. And hopefully while it's going to take time, start moving in the right direction. But I'm, I'm a big fan of yours because your empathy is, I think is, is, the, is the key tool to this, right? I just told you about the guy on the strand, right? But that guy's not, um, not a one dimensional person. I just gave you two different guys. One, he's not wearing a mask because he doesn't care. 
the other one's not wearing the mask because he's he's not educated. All right. Um, I can, Brian, I can forgive and tolerate ignorance. Uh, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to tolerate stupidity because stup stupidity is you, but you're aware of the facts and you're just kind of like setting your ways. You just shaking your head and, and, and some of those guys you, you, you really want to give up on because beyond reach, but at the same time, we're on the same team and, um, politically like no, no matter who wins this election and when it's over, we still have to, we all still have to deal with each other because I've never, I've only two or three times in my life actually seeing a president do something that affects us directly, positively or neg negatively with, well, this, this is COVID, that's one, but the two other cases. Um, but I just gave you an example of someone that someone's already prejudged. Oh, that guy's an idiot. You know, oh, he's probably, probably with that party, you know what I'm saying? But, but your empathy has to be the, com um, has to be a tool, not the common denominator, but it has to be a tool because I just give you two versions of that guy. One guy right. doesn't know any better. Just say, hey, did you know, you know, listen, um, that's not how the mask works, dude. You know, and if you, you, you educate his ignorance and if he's still set in his ways, he becomes stupid. And then you now you got a problem with a teammate, you know? Yeah, so I mean, it's so many times you see something and someone thinks like, how the heck could someone say that? But then they don't actually answer that question. And that and there's a reason, right? It's something that they've read somewhere else. It's something you don't know who their parents are like, what their mentors mm. are like. Received like, opinions. Everyone is, everyone is sculpted by their own individual experiences. And I'm lucky to have mentors in my life, I feel, that, that have put me on the right way and taught me life lessons from my parents to some of my coaches, some of my teachers, um, parents of, of my friends that, that kind of serve that role. So, so I'm, I'm blessed to have that type of, of upbringing to have people that that kind of show me like how do your actions affect others yeah and you know when i see people that don't act that way um you know i i feel bad because a lot of the people that i've worked with that that might have narcissistic behavior or they're they're you know it's a dog eat dog world they're some of the most unhappy people and and you take a step back and and you see that and i don't think anyone's happy like trying to step on other people to get where they want and so you just you even know, if they are, it's a very to... temporary feeling. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you know, it's it's little you know victories, and then on to the next one because they're never comfortable. They're never it's never enough, and you know again, yeah. it's you, you do your best to, you know, <laughs> you find your good vibe tribe. You find the people that are aligned with you philosophically that yeah. you, know, you invest energy into, and vice versa, and then people that are of a different opinion or perspective. You you hope that they find their own tribe and that you can both coexist in a manner that doesn't negatively affect one or the other. So I'm laughing because Jeremy Carlin is like, go ahead, Jason, say it's, it's say my name. It's me you're talking about. Um, he, he just commented doing, earlier. Jeremy? I know him. Um, he said, um, had a lot of fun watching Brian battle uh, Kalinsky back in the day. So, oh man, um, that, so. It, <laughs> I, I'm probably like two and 16 against him lifetime, but you're like, battle? I, we didn't have a battle. <laughs> he rubbed I, my face with the planet. <laughs> most of the time, most yeah. of the time, but that's, you know, I tell my kids like, so, so Kalinsky and Buckley and Kyle Buckley doesn't get enough credit for his role in that partnership. Cause he was a pain in the butt when Kalinsky, you know, Kalinsky had the physical tools early and he was always good, but, but. <laughs> He was, you know, as a basketball player converted. So those first couple of years, even when he was so good physically, he was still winning. But, you know, a pass was shanked. It didn't matter because Buckley's going to put his hands on it and put it where he needed Boom. it. 
great defense around him. So we start, me and Joe Baker started playing together in 2011. You know, we're about 300 pounds combined. He's 6'5", I'm 6'2". Uh, but the one thing that I love about that guy is, is we were very different personality wise, but we showed up. So for four, six days a week for, for three years, we played together, we were lifting, we were playing, you know, if we messaged each other, Hey, 6am tomorrow, we were there. So when we first started playing Bradford events up in Milwaukee, you know, we would lose, you know, we, we were taking sevenths and ninths the first year, but we were starting to figure out spacing and, and defensive philosophy. Um, 2012, we start taking thirds, but we're, it, it, it never failed. We would run into Billy or Buckley in the, the, um, quarters or the, the crossover and, and we'd be sputtering. And then we, we really changed our nutrition between 2012, 2013. Um, again, we were both small guys, didn't have a huge appetite, you know, a 90 degree heat, but, but had to start getting, you know, little protein, little bananas, just, just electrolytes, things to, to fuel ourselves. And all of a sudden, um, we made a big adjustment with our offense. Um, Billy was so big and and Buckley was quick. Anytime we ran the ball in the middle, Billy could get over us, so we'd have to shoot. Yeah. And Kyle was so and your patient shoot, and balanced your shoot defense, got run down. everything. Right, your shoot got so, run down. So I, I never forget, it was a January 2012 tournament indoors at the Horny Goat. Um, we lose 21-18, 21-13. Um, but I, I kind of noticed that finally, and I'm like, hey, if we make it back to the final and run into them, we're gonna we're gonna get every ball to the pin. Try and pass forward. If not, we'll we'll you know kick out and we'll get the ball there. Joe was an incredible hand setter. Yeah. Did you um, split block the whole time? What did you say? Um, Jeremy asked, you, did you split block the whole time, or no, did they split? Was, did, no, Joe, sorry, Joe did they split a, block the whole time? Joe was the blocker the whole time. I, okay. I was always the defender. I'll tell you what was great with Joe. Joe's pull defense was so stellar. I mean, we our side out game is we our defense was actually pretty there was a lot of method to the madness. I didn't really learn the defense I employed in my players and what I ran the rest of my career until 2014. But um, he, he blocked the whole time. He had, he had pretty good stamina. Again, we were small, but we were in really good shape. We had good cardio. So, um, so, so that match, you know, we, we get to them, we get back to the final and we're, we're playing pretty well. And we started getting the ball to pin and all of a sudden Billy can't take both line and cross. We were able to start hitting cross a little bit that made Buckley have to respect our cross a little bit and high line open. So we ended up losing 15, 10 in the third. And you could see them like what we, we've been smoking this team for 18 months. What just happened? Um, up. <laughs> I, I ended up getting one match off them in 2014. Um, and, and, you know, wasn't their best day. Kind of like when I got to play the bomb grins in 2013, I always tell my kids your best day can beat anyone's worst day. And you have to have that confidence when you get on the court and those two matches were you know both one by two and extra points in the third a couple bullet, you know plays went our way uh but if luck is when preparation meets opportunity you got to cover your end of the deal and and it was a three-year journey to get to that point and he can have the other 15 16 wins and i thank both those guys because honestly if it wasn't to have them to chase i don't think my partner and i have you know again we weren't main draw players but mm. two small town guys that weren't really anything special in in high school and Oh, D3, we were good, but we weren't any standouts and, and you know, had a couple of really quality wins in, in really special scenarios. So it's cool. And I think as far as playing your percentages go, it's always going to be better than people that never beat them. <laughs> you know, I, um, I'll throw some names at you. Say, you know, Seydoux on Jananko. Uh, he's uh, from Ghana, he's West Africa. Guy, no? um, yeah. Well, he played for Cal Baptist, but he spent 10 years on the East Coast and he played yes. a lot. He played a lot with. Was um, he there in 2009? Uh, Cal Baptist? Yeah. No, but Shamsu might have been. I don't know. Sh Shamsu he, was there. Yeah. Shamsu is 
I mean, for anyone yeah. listening, think Massive. of Seydoux like three, four inches taller. <laughs> and Sh- that Shen- he's the one that cracked that. He he just yes. served it and then ran the back row. And the overpass. <laughs> you know, Don't and Seydoux, Seydoux has the balls. He has that on his profile, right? Because from a distance, um, their playing style is the same. The they're they're um um you know, people like elbow back, elbow forward. He's Seydoux's wrist and elbow, which by the way, you can hit forever for the rest of your life because <laughs> you're up there and it costs your shoulder nothing so right. if you looked at their playing style and their approach and the way they jump it's very very similar from a distance if you're watching from you know if you're videotaping from up there so when i saw it i thought it was say do um jump serve and then boom um for people listening jump serve and off a jump off the jump serve the overpass goes to d zone and he just uses his serve and his momentum uh, to, as an approach to hit an overpass. An overpass off the D zone, straight down in the middle in front of the defense. And everyone's just losing their mind. And I called Seydoux. And I said, Seydoux. No, I didn't call him. He's in Central Park. Uh, and I sat with him and I said, Seydoux, tell me the truth. That wasn't you, right? And he just goes, <laughs> yeah, you know that cheapest smile? No, yeah. that, that was Shamzu. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. Shamzu. But um, I brought him up because on the indoor scene, New York has had a league, or still has a league, but there are boom periods. New York Urban Professionals. It's this mixture of pro players, uh, people on the beach that want to play indoor, uh, working professionals who are ex-D2, D1, D3 college players. Um, had this, there's like 254 teams, God knows how many co-ed teams, but the premier is men's D1 and women's D1. So I run into Seydu. I played with him a bunch of times, but I run into a team that's always loaded. It's him, Mike Salek. You might, you know, Elvis, yep. of course, King of New sure. York for a while. Um, maybe Kurt is playing middle. Um, um, Luis Mendez, who's set for hustle and flow. Um, they won nationals with um, Taylor yeah. Sander and Taylor Crab and, oh, Fra- yeah. and Frankie. Um, so you got these they teams. They beat the Summit Boys in the final, too, yeah. yep. which is a local team. Yeah, but that's. Come on, that's a, those are guys that play on the Dominican national team too. So. Right. No. And, they, and then you got. And then you got. Then you got. And then you got. Um. Yeah. yeah. That's right, Spencer Sauter. That's right. But then you got two guys that are like Taylor, both Taylors that are balling out. Taylor Crab, I think at the time was yeah. uh, a national player of the year. So. Uh, and Luis Mendez, a lot of people don't know that Dominican is no joke. His hands, mm-hmm. he's just, pff, you know, he played at Queens College as an oppo and then Concordia, um, as an oppo and the setter. But my point is. Playoffs come, the season's over, semifinals and finals, it's always me and it's always them. And they're like, someone comes up to me like, Jason, how many times, every time you're playing that team, they're fucking losing a set and they're arguing with each other and this and that. And he's like, how many times out of 10 times you beat that team? Um, just give me a number. I said, I was going to say four because I was feeling really good about myself, but I had to be <laughs> honest. I forced my hand. I say three, three times out of 10. Um, and they're like, what's what's the secret? We can't. What, what's the secret? I mean, Paul Lamb had a team, and Paul Lamb. That was two generations of, of players that won nationals in 1996. Those guys don't even get old. Out of South Brooklyn, <laughs> I sat for that team, and and Balmeso, you know, because those guys they say they're out of North Carolina, but no, they're in they're in Washington Heights. You're an East Coast guy. We that's our, that's we secrets <laughs> out. Ulysses secrets out. Um, so um, they said, what's the secret? And I said. Let a sleeping tiger lie. <laughs> Let a sleeping tiger lie. 
there is going to be some point where they're going to they're going to get blocked one on one, or they're going to they're going to there's going to be a miscommunication, and Elvis is you know who's part at the time playing libero is going to be like you know okay carajo ven aquí ven aquí qué es su problema qué carajo es su problema qué so and then Luis is like what and then they're calling timeout but what you don't want to do is let them see you laughing at them what you don't want to do is, is is scream at them like oh I got another block because you just took all the energy that they were using to implode <laughs> and then you just woke you just kick something that has bigger teeth you don't want to so, remind them that it's us yeah. versus them and not them versus themselves yeah i'm they're, they're not gonna like my next answer the second thing is i was smarter than them that's it sorry i was smarter than them uh, you play someone for almost a decade straight and these other teams you know this guy's face uh, favorite shot is wrist away he's got more power and he's more uncomfortable here but game after match after match i watch them play the same teams and i watch them do the same things i watch them do the same run the same plays they like to run and sometimes it's about clientele right but sometimes there are there i mean big, john mayer i worked with for a year we're big into controllables there's some things that are, are within your control and i won a lot of games because i was smarter i won some games where i just i brought the game to a slow the momentum to a slow grinding halt okay you got four middles you're trying to work out for nationals you're rotating them in and out guess what we we're running fast plays but those plays are going to happen once every 35 40 seconds okay gotta tie my shoe um uh, whatever and then next thing you know i got uh, uh you know and all i need i didn't need a uh to get crewed up right this is indoor mind you i didn't have to get crewed up i just needed my boy you Eater. guys that could side out yeah. and crack some serves. This is my well, my boy Eater was an alcoholic, a uh, uh, drunk, or not an alcoholic. He was just a drunk back then. Alcoholics <laughs> got to go to the meetings, okay? So come on, so we know the difference. Uh, Eugene uh, Flacco played for Balmeso, um, um and won nationals within 2004, 2005. Played at City Tech. I was his coach at City Tech. Um, just they call him Flacco. You know him when you see him. He looks like Barack Obama, actually, really skinny. <laughs> but that Barack Barack didn't eat. So those are the two reasons. One, let us sleep in Tiger lie. And sometimes you just gotta you just gotta do your fucking homework. What the, why do you think we're coaches, dude? We're coaches because we're smarter than a lot of players. I, and and it's coming from a, a bad pl- uh, this this place that seems self serving and cocky, but it doesn't mean my my arrogance is not surrounded by a, a heightened level of truth derived from myself deriving from myself to honesty, and historical fact. <laughs> right? Hmm. Those those two wins. Right? They beat you. What? They're fourteen and two against you, Bill Kalinsky. Can't take the two wins away, right? They can't go back in time and take those two wins away. It's just, like I said, it was just, it was nice. It didn't, mm-hmm. you know what? There are guys like Wayne Scott and Dan Lowry. Like there were guys that I played and I never got a match off them. So it was just, if nothing else, you know, at the end of the day, I always wanted to be the best I could be. That's the only yes. thing you can control at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and all those wins meant, you know, with where I started when I played them first and where I played them, the type of matches we were having three years later, it just made me, you know, I, I got to recognize that all that work I put in, all the nights that I didn't go out and, you know, trained and treated my body right, that that the work was was showing in, in my performance. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in regards to, to coaching, I mean, the whole reason I really cared, I, I knew I wasn't going to make money in our sport. There's no money in it. Um, I wanted to get to a level where I could have a little more credibility so I could coach and, you know, coaches are thieves. You know, I've got little sayings here and there that are kind of my, my own things, but the truth is, is um, 95% of what I have is, you know, I got to do a clinic with Nygaard. I got to work with Stein Metzger. I got to work with, you know, Pat Powers comes to town frequently, you know, going online and seeing things that people educate, you know, you, you pull things from everywhere you've been and, and 
a lot of those people went out of their way to give me more, you know, and, and just donated their time. So how selfish would it be for me not to, to want to give the next generation those same things, hopefully give it to them a lot faster than I got a lot of it. You know, I was working in my mid twenties, just looking for all this information to, to be able to, to give some of these things to, to 12 and 13 year olds and seeing these kids already starting to employ three hits and think, you know, they love the sport. And, and if they're starting this young and loving the sport and loving the work that comes with it, and they're learning the mental process, you know, we're not just hitting the first or second ball over and they're going to go play some, some small tournaments and they're going to lose the teams. They're just chucking the first ball over, but they're going to get to that next year. And the other kids are going to be ready to go three hits and they're going to be that much more ahead. So um, it's just, it's just nice to, again, these kids are dealing with a lot off the court and to be able to, to, you know, give them something that challenges them and gives them life skills as well as be a fun environment. I, I wanted to be a teacher for a while, but the truth was, is I don't like coaching effort. And I knew with at least volleyball in my program, like my kids know that I'm going to treat them the same, whether they're winning matches, whether they're losing matches. All I ask is that when they show up, they respect me, they respect the coaches, the other peers, and that they give their absolute best effort and they owe that to themselves. And um, it's, it's made it a lot of fun. I'm, I'm lucky to do what I do for a living. I- I um just like theater performers there's an there's a saying in theater performance good artists create great artists deal all right <laughs> um very very applicable to volleyball I studied theater at Marymount Manhattan College I was at I was at Hunter for a cup of coffee didn't didn't even didn't even go to school just wanted to play volleyball with um with a bunch of friends back then Justin Stack was there um he was there as a freshman and then disappeared and then came back and finished later we know everyone knows Justin everyone respects him uh I had an assistant at Baruch College for a long time Ray Bellows assistant at Hunter when you were playing um for Newberry um Greg Romulus, his whole family plays Rudy's kid brother all Creole guys all all when they were an all Haitian team so but but my game is my the game the game as a coach didn't didn't pick up until I studied theater, and 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 just the comparison and con and some contrast but the, the mostly comparison of what theater and volleyball has in common and the one thing I always take and I tell my kids good artists create great artists steal that's one two uh, what you said highlighting what you said and topping off on what you said if you take the elevator to the penthouse press lobby. Send the send 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 the son bitch back down. <laughs> All right, let let other people get up there. Right, cool. So those are the two things I w- I just wanted to echo uh, uh, my sentiment that compares with yours, which um, um, yeah, which is just that, just the comparison. I want to talk on about controllables on a juniors level. I'm gonna give you my major three, and I want to tell you, and I want you to give me three controllables which you give the kids. Um, Jason's major three controllables when I'm coaching endless summer. Um, this is just beach. Um, as an example, but can apply for everywhere. One is serve, um, 100% control, right? No one can block it. No one can, um, you know, come, no one can matumbo it. Remember the commercial? <laughs> Not in my house. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> second controllable in system setting. Um, if your part, if your partner gives you a perfect pass, can the other team make you set poorly? No. Uh, the third controllable is down ball, free ball. Um, six, 70, 30, 80, 20, 90, 10, whatever. There are levels to that, depending on what level. Um, but that, I always make sure I tell my kids. those Because the wind, 
Yeah, I mean, you're talking about beach and you're talking about beach indoor, but the wind is a real thing out here, okay? I, I, I'm not going to talk about the horror stories when I first started playing beach out here. Went home crying. But um, <laughs> um, I said the other team first. The other team has the same wind you have. There's no, there's not like wind on your side and then <clears throat> no wind on the other. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my three major controllables for beach volleyball. Can you give me two or three of your own? I'll tell you one that um, I think is is underutilized in a lot of programs for what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, one, we got to be able to balance and move. Um, Metzger was the one that really taught me about kind of putting your toes in a little bit because it naturally puts you on the balls of your feet and push steps. Um, our sand is super deep at our facility. It is a slice of Hermosa, Ratledge, yeah. K-Spear, uh, Ryan Mariano. They've all played in it. It was really funny to watch K-Spear. He's demoing a four-step approach and he took his first stop and he's like whoa <laughs> yeah. and I, like to see a guy that is literally like one of the the most freak athletes uh on tour you know in the world yeah um that was that's what i wanted to hear because i wanted these kids to to be faster everywhere they went after us right um so so we have to teach them how to move because if you don't get your your feet and hips facing where you're going you can't move in the sand it's gonna grab you uh if you don't heel toe it's gonna grab you if you don't push and bring that leg with you so that everything's balanced correctly. You could be the best passer, setter, hitter. If you can't move to the ball, you can't do the execution properly. So we're very big. The first thing we teach them um, is the footwork. Um, I, I'm with you on the serve. Your serve, and and to, to build on what you said, your serve does one of two things. It either gives them a free point or a very easy pass to let them do what they want to score, or we create chaos, and we're in the business of chaos. So, you know, we, we obviously, for the younger kids, we're just working on being able to hit a spot with a purpose to start. We're getting the technique right, making sure they're using their whole body. We're not overloading their shoulder, um, and, and also making sure that they're thinking, Beach volleyball is fun geometry. Where am I trying to hit on the ball? And especially for the younger kids, when they make a mistake, not just getting frustrated, you know, if I hit point B and I was aiming for point A, what do I need to do next time? So we try not to dwell on the what, the mistake. We say, why did it happen? How to correct it? And then I'd say the the, the other big thing we're doing locally that I think I'm seeing a lot of juniors programs, not necessarily, I know the big ones in Cali and Arizona, they're all doing it. We've got a lot of teams that don't, start with someone at the net. They don't teach decision-based defense. And and you have these incredible athletes at other programs, kids that I would love to coach. And they're playing a style of ball. You know, a lot of these indoor clubs, they there's not a lot of beach education. You have to kind of go look for it. So a lot of these programs, you know, they want to offer something for their kids in the summer because it's a trendy thing to do. They want to get outside. Um, but they're not able to give them kind of the basic X's and O's on how to do that. So you get these teams where, you know, on paper, physically, they've got some huge mismatches against our kids, but we're able to both exploit, um, you know, we, we set the ball tight and we make sure that if we're going to air, we air tight so that they have to bring someone up. Um, and we make sure to just kind of keep them off the net because they haven't been taught how to better that second ball and, and stay aggressive with the set. So we get a lot of down ball free ball opportunities. So, you know, um, it's nice because in-house, everyone learns the same system. So over time, um, we can do some kind of queen of the beaches in-house and they're able to play with a lot of different people, play with them with good chemistry because they all know where they're supposed to transition. But also we give a lot of different looks. You know, we've got kids, you can play with two bigs, you can play two smalls and talking about in real time, like figuring out that team, what's their plan A and how do we take it away? Um, giving them the chess game is, has been great. And sometimes you, you, you overload a little bit at the beginning and you got to kind of dial it back. 
but just at times where I think maybe I need to, to dumb it down, I'm overdoing it. You see these 13 year olds running past that hit and calling shots and pull defense and scooping balls. And, and, you know, again, they may lose some points at the 12 U or 14 U tournament that year, but when they get older, um, we're not here to win every 16, 18 U tournament. We're here for the kids that, that want to play in the college level so that when they're the 19 year old playing against the 22 year olds, they're ready to hang. And, uh, we've had a lot of kids that have gone to some pretty good schools and, um, had very good success as freshmen and we, we haven't come back and ask, you know, is there anything that you would say after a year in college that you wish we did differently? We could have prepared you better. A lot of them say they even think it slows down. So it's, that's music to my ears. Yeah, that is, that's, listen, there's a handful of coaches out there. I like to name by name. I just cited Justin Stack. Um, he was at Baruch College, um, which at the time when he got that team, they were the seventh seed, which everybody classified as the worst conference <laughs> in NCAA volleyball. It takes, you know, uh, takes him to the Final Four, but that wasn't his goal. Uh, the, the wins and that that success that that this city university school enjoyed came from what you were talking about, just making individual. Like, do you have any any idea how many contracts they have, like, or for, to play overseas? You know, sure. we're talking. Remember, we were talking about Daniel Event before the the podcast. Dude yeah. is a beast. Do do and. He wasn't, I mean, everyone remembered because he was a heavy-handed hitter, but people forget the man had smooth as silk hands. Um, blocking is is so weird because you have these these intelligent and athletic blockers where um, these, these unicorns where you're like, oh my God, the middle missed his assignment, the outside block's going to get lit up. But there are certain players where you're like, you know what? That guy takes 10 swings. I think I'm going to take Danny on that one. I think I'm gonna take Danny on that block. I think he's gonna get that. That kid is gonna get two kills. Um, he's gonna get stuffed three times. He's gonna hit out <laughs> twice, and then off the touch and off and off the dig from the hatcher or, or whatever, or off the tweener from position six. Uh, um, then we're gonna hump it out. So what? Uh, Daniel one on one is making that hitter hit two for ten with three errors. Percentage wise is minus one hundred. You tell me. Yep. Um, yeah. So that checks out. Um, very, very something, very interesting. Something you said about the geometry and just the logistics of just serving as one of, one of the controllables. Um, John Mayer, LMU. Um, maybe there's only one program that does this more. Their success and the thing that makes them competitive, because if you look at their schedule, like if you look at John Mayer's schedule and he's six and thirteen, you know why, right? They don't just play teams in the WCC. They got to play the pack and they got to play. Um, 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 maybe LSU or whatever the other conference is, the Big West. Um, Todd, right, Todd Rogers, Cali, you know, Cal Poly or whatever this and that. But when his team's 21 and 9, <laughs> yo, you're like, that's why they're in the top seven or whatever. But if you ask John, if you ever ask John, and, and, I, and I, I'll be his spokesman, huge amounts of practices on serve to space. Huge amounts of practices on serve to space. Only Stein Metzger um, that I, I've seen or heard of or talk to where they spend an, an equal amount of time that that uh, mayor and um, Aaron Mansfield, who's the indoor women's coach there um, for LMU and Betsy Flint, um, who was the leader in aces, a uh, service aces uh, by, by, by far in the AVP. Uh, well, that's because April Ross only played like, I mean, <laughs> April Ross will be up there with her, but she played less tournaments, sure. but that's a look. Betsy can't control where the hell April Ross goes. All she can do is lead the league. So um, having a baby, by the way, She's she's um, nice. Yeah, she's expecting so. G congratulations Dresser, to her. But, yeah. And it's it's so intriguing that if I ask an indoor player, I talked to Mike Salik, former player at um 
LIU Southampton, but but mo- very respected New York player. Played with Greg Hunter. Um, what's the difference between double A AA or triple A and open? And for indoor, he says the middles. For outdoor, you ask John Mayer, maybe even Stafford Slick or Billy Allen, um, who John Mayer actually coaches. They coach; he's their coach. What's the biggest difference between these guys who are trying to get their AAA rating or their I call it their, their label? Because I always tease mm-hmm. people about labels. Because um, you know, I'm a kid from Brooklyn. I do that shit. Um, <laughs> sure. And he'll sell you the serve. Sure. I Beach mean, volleyball coach. How, how important is the serve for you at your juniors level? Um, and is and oh, and is and is, and is it comparable? This comparable be this comprehensively same for all levels. I mean, it, it's that much more deadly at the, the junior level. The reason it matters to get to that next level at the open level is, you know, a lot of these double-A, triple-A guys, they they Dude, they all block. They can all hit, right? They all got hands. So the only thing you can do to get them out of system is disrupt that first contact. You know, you got to get that pass out of system so that the set's a little out of system so you can hopefully compromise them to either hit something out of bounds or something into your defense. So... Um, you know, that absolutely, you know, we, we talk about, you, you think about, you can serve from the middle, you can serve from the left, you can serve from the right. Each passer has four different corners that I feel are the most difficult serves for them to pass, right? That's 24 different angles you can create. You know, a lot of people talked about, like, even Kerry Walsh doesn't like being served right side, you know, down her line. It's a tough yeah. serve for her. Well, she's Everyone, passing right side, right? You know, well, yeah. if you're talking and about like, she's passing left or right. I'm talking about when she passed right, like in 2016. Yeah, yeah that was right? so. So you know, and again, it it had everyone has preferences, and I remember watching dude. the guy. There's a guy, Mike Dauernheim, okay, um, really good open level. You know, one of the better sand players in the Midwest when I just started. And you'd watch his first match, and it was like cracking a safe. He just he'd float serve, he'd jump float, he'd topspin, he'd go from left to right. And, you know, nothing would too crazy, but you would see they would win that game like 21-17, 21-18. And then, like, game two, it just, cl- you know, he figured out, okay, this is what they don't like to do. They don't run their offense as well when I serve the middle. They don't like it. This person doesn't get a good approach when I serve them short. Or this person can't get up to the court to get a good approach when I serve them deep. And he would just pick apart a team. It was like Greg Maddox in baseball. It wasn't necessarily he was beating you with power. He beat you because he made he figured out quickly what you were uncomfortable with. And especially with juniors, you got some of these kids that have not been properly taught to move their feet. You know, I tell them, if you see a kid wide with their toes out, they're on their heels, whether they realize it or not, like make them move, you know, work a team and test them. Like if they're big, if you can keep that ball deep, you know, that high, deep serve um, and they can't get the ball to the net. Once they're five feet off the net, they're just like you and me. So we want to make sure that we kind of use the court and use the net to our advantage. We want to figure out where is this team most successful with that first contact and make sure we stay away from that and make sure um, that that we're we're making them do the things that they have been prepared in practice to do. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. um, For John, um, this is 2019. They... um, WCC playoffs, right? WCC tournament, which I nicknamed the Pepperdine Invitational, right? They've only <laughs> they've only had NCAA volleyball X amount of years, and Pepperdine has won every year by by far, right? I was with John. They made semifinals. We got upset by Saint Saint Mary's, who we just um, uh, at the end of the day, and John and Betsy might not want to hear this. We got out coached. We got we got we got um something I call mousetrap, and I'll explain to you what a mousetrap is later. Um, but the year after. They get knocked in a loser's bracket. They come all the way out of hell. And they come back and, you know, um, these double elimination tournaments, you have to beat the, you have to beat them twice. 
to, right. to win. So they came all the way out of hell, played Pepperdine a second time, um, won, and then had to play them a third time because Pepperdine had winner's rights. And it came down to pair two, 15 up, um, and the two fastest ways to score a point, as far as sudden death is concerned, is a block and an ace. And the one of the plays was a block. And from if you have a back shot, Brian, I'm, I'm going to look it up as I'm speaking. If you have a back shot and someone pops a block up, you have no fucking idea which side it's going to land on. Sure. <laughs> um, you have no idea what side it's going to land on. So I'm just waiting to see who chair, who um, who cheers, you know? And right. um, oh my God, I'm trying to look it up. WCC. So, and then the very next play was an ace. And yeah. that ace doesn't happen if he doesn't, if he doesn't, if John doesn't do that, you know? And you're talking about position one where Kerry Walsh had a hard time. Uh, I, I take that, um, put a left handed pass over there, multiply that by three. <laughs> Lefties are the worst, man. We're always leaning in with our chin. And we always, uh, as far as angling our platform on our left shoulder, we're left shoulder heavy. That's never been a problem unless you just suck, unless you're just not good enough. Um, and John has always struggled with that. And when I first played John, he 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 got me. He he beat me fifteen four. We played an exhibition game the fifteen to fifteen. I had Ty Trambley on my side, so nice. no matter where I passed it, Ty ran it down. And you know, sure, Butter. <laughs> no problem. Um, God, I just want to find it. There it is. Debbie finals conclusion. There it is. I want to put it up. You could just watch cool. it together. All right, hey, all right. So this is 14 up. So I'm just, it's just going to bring you through the whole rally, coach. Up and down set. Veronica, wow, so two evenly matched teams. Transitioning and now set. they know each other. Locked. And now she knows she's going to go cut or line over. She's got to go. That ball's dug. Looking for 15. Pepperdine and I think here's the, the block. Got it! <laughs> There's the stop! I, I, I had to look to see who celebrated first, and then I lost my mind. That's me calling it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, because this is what I was doing locally before I actually got a commentator. Game. Such a good job centering yeah. the ball. It's so important. Yeah. And here's the next play. That's match point. I'm a to serve. Match LMU, there, there's their ranking. They ranked 14, and Pepperdine was five. There's a nice. And there's the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, a bunch of girls losing their mind. <laughs> That's awesome. So great moment for John. It's not connected to anything in the podcast, but I wanted to share it with you because it was the first time his athletic director, his boss, ever came to a game. Very cool. And he was and he, and he won the, the WCC championship. And, sure. and it was great. And I left earlier that year because I got a coaching uh, offer by P1440 to coach, uh, not coach, to uh, um, commentate for all of Pepperdine's home games and to call the Big West Championship when come Cal Poly, who's me, Mike Dodd, Travis, Robert Aspero, who's a savage, by the way, right on and, the mic, um, yeah. and Tim Hoff. So we, we were the Fab Five. and um, But I had to come to watch that. I, I actually literally just ran to make sure I saw the last moments and I taped it for him. And he was taking pictures and he calls me over to take the picture with him. And and I, I took the picture with him and I said, I wish I was, man, I wish I was a part of this because I, I spent time with him rebuilding it. When I when I when when John asked me, they, they were six and thirteen. So, 
a lot of that had to do with all of us. You know, I'm, sure. I'm not tooting my own horn, of course, up for about a little bit. But I said, man, I wish I was part of this. And he says, you are part of this. You know, so now I'm framing that picture. <laughs> John Mayer said I was part of that. <laughs> nice. Good deal. I yeah, was glad man. you were able to see that in person, too, because there's nothing like the rush after like a, a final point like that. That's what everyone works for. That's what you dream of. It's, it's the viable version of the home run. It was the and it was the time a great time for NCAA beach volleyball because if you look around the conferences, I call the Power Five. That was WCCs, all right? LMU upsets Pepperdine. Um, of course, champion uh, title doesn't get you a bid. They're, they're working that out now. So Pepperdine went, LMU didn't. Uh, Big West Championship. Uh, pair Five, 15, Game Three, 15-15, 16-16. It ended up being 19-17. Uh, the Pack. USC versus UCLA wound up being um, the last pair playing, uh, pair two. I believe it was Sarah Sponsel and I'm Justine. Uh, and they they won. So every conference went down to the last pair. Uh, and that, and it was, dude, it was great for the sport of beach volleyball. It was great for the sport of beach volleyball. I mean, the nice thing is with less teams and less opportunities, like, you know, there's a lot more parity. You think about with an indoor program and how many bodies one program can take and the, the amount of kids playing high school volleyball and, and learning to at the high school age. And then the amount of programs they are, there's just a lot more balance compared to when you've got them all spread out with, you know, hundreds more schools. So it's been really cool to see, you know, you always have like LSU kind of, you know, people that are paying attention. They're doing a good job down there, but they kind of snuck up on a lot of people. You're seeing a lot of programs like even, you know, FSU obviously has been, you know, doing really well on the East Coast. You're one of the LSU. things I, I forget the statistic at one point, I think there were 13 teams that have won the national championship in 35 years in um, for, for indoor at one point. And I think we're going to see a lot more parity in beach just because, you know, programs like even there's the small ones like Georgia State and, and South Carolina that are starting to pull in good competition, you know, good, good talent. Because mm-hmm. um, maybe some of these kids want to not be a reserve on a power conference team. Maybe they want to be, you know, they've got that number one mentality and they can compete with some of those top people. Um, so rather than, you know, being behind a McNamara and a sponsor, I mean, that, that number three would probably be a number one in most other places. So it's, true. it's, it's yeah. It's exciting. It, it's always more exciting. That's what makes college football so good is like every week the, the results matter. And there's, you know, good teams can slip up one week and it completely yeah. changes the season. I think we're going to see in, in beach volleyball, you're, you're going to have a lot more. The, there's a lot more uncertainty on the results yeah. in a lot of matches. Madness is what they call it. And, and oh, yeah. we're definitely going to have our version of some kind of March Madness and into that. Uh, Duran, my boss, her daughter, saying, uh, Prime example, what you're talking about, daughter wound up at a Hawaii, shortest player to get Presley. a scholarship. Yeah, Presley Forbes, shortest player to get a scholarship. Um, and then uh, transferred to FIU. She was, um, she was on the pair five or, or six. Played Crockett, huh? Yeah. It's, again, and I say good for her, but like you said, where, you know, Hawaii was just too stacked in the defender position. Um, Ty's going to go to the upperclassmen. They're not going to, you know, Presley, in order to take someone's spot, you have to, you have to be uh, a down the line better. You know, like for me, like in a, in a, in a mixed martial arts match, sometimes, t- t- sometimes the judges don't want to give you the rub unless you beat, you know, if you have to beat the champion <laughs> you know if it's close some judges unless they're just i don't know whatever they're just uh, fair <laughs> um so that was just one of the, the prime examples i was telling you about um back to volleyball and like you said 35 30 uh 13 champions or whatever out of the teams uh the last decade was really the time for miva though wasn't it 
Oh, for the men's side. Yeah, I was yeah. talking about the female side because okay. there's 300. Men's side is completely different because there's only 40 teams. So, yeah. I mean, but think about this. Know. The year, It was the decade of repeat champions. Look at our last sure. 10 champions. Well, Long Beach together, State you know. twice, right? Ohio State yeah. twice. That French guy, that Alpo was just, you want to talk about yeah. serve to space. <laughs> I saw, well, let me go, let me do the repeat champions first. Uh, uh, Loyola Chicago. Right, one of them had to beat Division Two Lewis, so it's pretty good that and Lewis that, got, got in that Lewis large had, bid. I feel, and and look, I I know both those coaches well, and I love Dan Friend, and it, yeah. my heart cracked for him. But man, you know they had multiple match point opportunities, but when you got two future Olympians, you're going against, you know that 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 was a perfect example of why it sucks. Um, you know, there's only yeah. victory for one, and yeah. and I knew guys on both teams, and they both were everything you want in athletes that play the right way, and. Um, you know, yeah, that was that was an epic. I remember watching that match. That was that was quite yeah. the championship. But think about it: five of the last ten champions are MIVA, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, or UC Irvine. 40... UC Irvine was repeat champions. My boy Chris Austin set for that team, um, and then before that was Ohio State again. So, um, yeah, wow, cool, right? I, but the cool thing about that guy served a space I was talking about was they played Hawaii in the semifinals uh, for their second um, title, um, consecutive title, Ohio State. And somewhere in the middle of the second set, I saw a guy, a guy get subbed out, and he sat next to his the guy or whatever, and he looked at his partner, and his partner just goes, it's like it's not going to happen. And right. it's so weird when someone's already beaten before the match is over. I mean, right. they had some excitement because uh, Ohio State did show some vulnerabilities in the middle of the season. But then when they were when it was time for them to be on, and there was it was a tight first set, and but then the second set, like you said, some people just cracked the code. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and then that, I, I don't remember remember the name, but I just, the other guy, the two guys, but I know they looked at each other, and one gets, one guy just goes. We're not winning this. It's not going to happen, you know. And wow, speaking of crack the code, how about Harvard? Remember Harvard? Um, yeah. Took took the first set from UCLA. They won EIVA, and then yeah. won the first set twenty five twenty three. And my girl who went to Harvard sent me a text, and I'm just like, shut up. No, I'm, I'm I got work to do. Don't bother me, girl. I got work. That's to why do. we play the game? She's like, no, seriously. They won the first set. I thought she's putting me on, you know, because if you if you know. NCAA men's weekend that Thursday and Saturday is the busiest weekend in volleyball, indoor and outdoor. The AVP at Huntington is that time. Um, the NCAA championships for beach volleyball is that time. And and you have indoor indoor men. So I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm at Huntington. You know, I think I, I don't know if I was coaching Jeff Samuels or and Dave Palm. That was a year after. But she sent me a text. Harvard won the first set. I'm like, man, get, get out. Go, go kick rocks, girl. Stop playing, you know. We have an inside bet. That's why. We have this inside joke. I had to wear a Harvard T-shirt uh, a total of 10 times because we made a bet. Um, IPFW played Harvard. And I, I said, Harvard's not going to beat IPFW. They're, just, they're not going to. No. It's not, I said, I will wear a shirt. I will buy a Harvard shirt, you know, sleeveless or whatever. And I will wear, I will wear it as if I went to Harvard. Ten, ten, a total of 10 times. And they won. Harvard won 3-0. I was like, okay. <laughs> she got me yeah like Why you said never, games yes cool man oh man what else what else did you, uh was there something else you wanted to plug before we um before we did I our mean, thing no man i mean we've been ripping what we're about <laughs> an hour and a half in so i i mean you leave the dance i'm, I'm more than happy to talk no, but I'm no not. i appreciate the opportunity yeah. and i think it's good it's always good to, to just talk about the sport and different stories and mm -hmm. things going on with it. And, you know, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to be able to coach. Um, 
in these tough times. And, and um, I don't want anyone to get misunderstood. I just want to make sure we're doing everything that the simple things to make sure that this doesn't last longer than it has to, because we ain't talking about the elephant in the room, which is what's going to happen in the spring when high school wants to do tryouts and club is used to having that part of the year. We're not talking about, um, you know, how I've already, I was talking to a friend of mine that coaches college and he's the coach at for both the men's and women's program. He's like, logistically, like we don't have enough gym space. And you know, there's an, he's like my other friend that coaches a head coach at a college. I've got three coaches for both teams and they're going to be going on at the same season. How does that work? Yeah. So, you know, I, I I just encourage people, let's not, let's not make it us versus them in regards to figuring this out. Let's find that sweet spot. How can we find a way to get our athletes back in a manner that isn't going to elongate this process before we can get and do it safely? We're not going yet, my man. Hold on. Um, (laughs) You know volleyball here is like a cultural thing, right? Like if you never left South Bay, you would think volleyball is the number one sport in America. So I was very sad for Redondo High School. Like they didn't have a boys season and they didn't have, they just, they to their credit had their graduation on the beach. So big up to them. Kevin Barnett's son was actually on that team, and he's at um, I don't know what position he plays, but he's at Santa Barbara. And Kevin all but said they're paying for it. But even though I don't think it's a full scholarship, come on, we're we're in the men's scene too. We're in the men's scene too long, right? For everyone listening at home, there's only 4.5 scholarships. So, and you know, and and with these big rosters, it's I can't even see anyone getting a, fr- a full ride unless they're smart. And they got some of that money, some of that cheddar cheese. Back in the <laughs> back in the day when there was only 12 man rosters, yeah. You know, you give you give Jason Oliver, Uvaldo Katz, um, sure. you know, a full full ride. Uvaldo Katz got that scholarship from Jason, by the way. Man, I put, Jason um, Jason had a suit him the NCAA a like a right to likeness lawsuit sealed, and split the difference. Said that they're like, okay, you're allowed to model, but you can't have the scholarship. So they gave it. So they had the money to give to Uvaldo, and cool man, they made the semifinals. That dude was that lefty was cool man. He was, you know, it might be before your time. He was legit, dude. Um, but that was an interesting uh, point I wanted to make about just the sadness uh, of like, take everything you're feeling about volleyball and this and that multiply it by five. This is the South Bay. This, uh, and their, their minds, everyone, everyone in the world plays this every country. This is probably your first sport. Uh, but be- we gotta, mm-hmm. the only thing I want, I want to say, this is going to stop. This is going to go away. This is not permanent. Yes. Right. And, and all I can say is I don't mind, you know, again, I don't want it to stop. I, my, my suggestion for the people that are in, if I, if I was hypothetically in a county that wasn't uh, necessarily um, letting any play, and if I was, let, let's actually do it locally. Chicago right now, the beaches are not accessible for play, right? If, if they want to try and get back on the beaches, if I was in that boat, if I needed to do that, I would be going to the city after talking to the health department and I would ask the health department, what are the things that you would say need to be happening um, parameters wise, if you were going to, to reopen a beach. And then I would sit with the people running the programming and I would say, how do we create a model that we can show the local department and say, Hey, this is what the health department's recommending that would need to happen to be safe. And this is what we can do to put that in place. Like versus, you know, petitions are nice, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't enact safe planning, standard operating procedure. And, and so, you know, sometimes I think some people locally with some of the things that I bring concerns with, they're like, well, you know, the kid's got to be kid. We got to run programming. Let's run programming, but let's make sure that it's not just what's legal. Let's make sure it's what's, what's being, you know, passed down so that again, um, we're, we're, we're only a year or two away 
in my opinion. Yeah. You think about what our grandparents had to do. I would much rather have to only play in smaller circles and have to just wash my hands more than storm the beaches of Normandy or leave my family for a couple of years and hopefully come back. So yeah. I just hope that that because this you're I, right. I, I this empathize. isn't a battle we can win by sheer bravery, my man. Right. Yeah. And and we're we're so close. You know, yeah. it's it's been a long time. We we were starting to be able to do certain things. Let's just do it safely. And then in a year or two, we're gonna be right back on the court and it's gonna have that sweet like I can't wait till I can high five a teammate. I can't wait till I can hug a teammate. Like I'm a I'm a I'm a demonstrative player. I love to to battle with my teammates. Yeah. And uh it sucks. But but, but if you Positivity is not always about being happy. Positivity is knowing that things are going to get better, and yeah. they will. Your giddy optimism just just warmed my cockle. It was right here, my man. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, if there's any case for like social distancing versus square mile, man, the beach is definitely would work better, which is closed, than the boardwalk or the Strandwich, which is crowded. So I'm just I'm just doing simple math that even Democrats and Republicans can agree on. Um, that I've been I've been calling them and Democrips and Rebloodlicans, you know, and I <laughs> know on several occasions had to apologize to Crips and Bloods, you know, because they didn't want to be insulted <laughs> like that. You know, I ain't trying to have them come to my house. But you can't go because in the beginning of this podcast, I promised I would ask you this question and I asked other people this question and for the people saying, oh, he's going to ask the same question again. You could just exit out right now. <laughs> At what tournament, what match? In your your teens, or be albeit club or or um, high school, did you tell yourself when you left that match? I left that tournament. I think I could do this shit for real. I think I could play. <laughs> I think I wanna. I think I could. I could play college or pro or or do something where this is gonna dominate my time and I'm gonna love it. So, on on a competitive and not not just a passionate level, was there a defining moment for you in a tournament or a match that said I, I, I can play this game on a real? There's, there's two I want to talk about, and they kind of tie in, too. Let's um, do it. I, I was an ugly duckling. Like, I played in high school for a very small school. Wasn't getting college looks. I had surgery on my foot after high school year. I didn't play for 18 months. Um, I happened to, to – I went to a state school. Didn't work out. Um, went to a community college. And while I was there in one of my computer science classes, teachers, like, get to know the person next to you. It's a girl on the volleyball team. And I'm an awkward 19-year-old. Um, and, and I'm like, oh, I used to play volleyball come to a match. So after the match, a um, bunch of kids just went on the court and they let us kind of goof off and hit the ball. And I don't know what I did. Um, you know, again, I, I knew a four-step approach. I knew how to play. So I hit a ball and the coach was like, hey, do you play? I'm like, I, I used to in high school. He's like, I'm always looking for managers. So again, like I'm 19. I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm an introverted extrovert. I like people. I'm kind of shy at the time. And Starbucks um, was created for people like you. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so I end up, long story short, I, I start coaching with with Bob Vilsaway at Harper. He recruits me one Wednesday to to play with a bunch of his buddies, the like 30s and 40s. It's a double BUSAV team. So their name is Bada Bing. I play as a 20-year-old on their team. I, I'm, I'm I'm one of the bench guys, but I'm learning from them. Like they're actually teaching me different things with angles. I'm learning fundamentals. So so that is 2005 USAV season. You know, I'm just learning. And then the last tournament was regionals in April. And I keep, I'm playing every outdoor place I can. I'm playing every open gym I can. So, so 2005, there's a preseason tournament and I'm like, I'm fired up. I'm like, Let, let's, let's play. You guys been playing a lot? And they're like, oh, we haven't really, you know, family people, you know, the thirties and forties are doing other stuff. And all of a sudden I'm like the guy on the team. And 
all of a sudden these guys that were smoking me a year before, I started realizing like I'm catching them. Um, the second one was, was, so that was when I kind of realized like, wow, in one year I can, when, when I actually have some guidance like that, I, I can make a jump. Um, I went to my first grass tournament. The Luau is a big one here. Uh, it was 2005. I'd never seen open level ball. I was pretty sheltered to, to what good volleyball was. Um, and, and I'm watching the open final and I just took third and double B and, and these guys are just they're flying. Like the hitters are incredible. The setters are dish and butter cracking jumpsters. Everyone's passing it. And I remember I said out loud, like, I don't even know why I play. And, or Sandalock who's a uh, ref in the area. He's a little older. He's a good friend. Oh, that guy a lot. And he, he heard me say, I said it out loud to no one, but he heard me. He's like, Hey, it's like, I remember these guys when they were your age, just keep working. And five years later, I won my first open triples tournament. And one of the guys in the finals that I beat was on that team. So it was like, I just saw that the more I put the time in that every year I was, I was seeing progress. And so I never set a ceiling. It was never like, I think I can do, it was every year I'm getting better and I don't necessarily have a, a specific goal. Let's see how far can I go before, you know, my, what happened in 2014, I tore my labrum. I got a bad um, opinion, unfortunately. So I, I had a sponsor. I played a bunch of the AVP qualifiers on the, the, advice that that it was just an impingement and there was no chance I needed surgery there was a tear and then I had one so um at that point I just started my my program coaching I thought I had established credibility locally and and uh, I still play but I it doesn't matter to me I've, I've won a lot of the local tournaments that that I I set out to win didn't make a main draw but um coaching Kristen who's 27 and and she really enjoys it. And my coaches are 22 and in one year they went from not being able to, they'd never played beach and now they're actually playing with some of the top guys in Chicago. I just, uh, it's fun to coach and it's easier on the joints. It really is. I turned 50 last week. I really Wait a happy birthday again. Yeah, man. I really wish I got into this 35. I wish I got out of Endure like at least closer around the, the same time Reed Pretty did, you know? Sure. Because the way we train for Endure, um, like the the high impact, the hard landing, and all oh, that yeah. stuff. Not just not not. I'm not even talking about the match. Just training to prepare for a match. It was just grueling and unforgiving on the body. You know, especially people who weren't light. Like I always walk around. I walk I walk around 205. Okay, I'm I'm ex military. The lightest I've been in, in after boot camp was 199. Okay, and that, they said that was still four pounds over, and you could see my hip bones. Okay, <laughs> I look like I, everywhere I, everywhere I walk, I look like I was. I look like I was, you know, cheap, <laughs> but like a supermodel. So, so man, I love this game. I fell in love with this game. Yeah. Moving out here made me fall in love with this game. And, and these guys, you know, big up to John, giving me the shot. Duran, uh, Duncan Avery, name you don't hear of, but you uh, locally, um, he's the man. Excuse me. Um, Redondo head coach, you know, and, and a pretty good club called Evolution. That's us. Um, so big up to nice. those guys. Todd Rogers always giving me the time to talk for interviews when I was doing the sure. beat for volleyball one on one. He was run by Andor July, South African guy, yeah. um, who's very well known. So I did he and Andor gave me a door because he's like he's traveling right for the clinics, but I go to the big events and I do the interviews. He says just top players only, and I'm like Nick. Thank you. <laughs> you know, Taylor, you're, you're, you're about to board the plane. You're at boarding. You're sitting there, not boarding the plane. You give me the 20 minutes on the phone. My man, my dude, you know. So, sure. And 
last but not least, thank thank guys like you for coming on because this is the whole reason I did a podcast like this. I started as a volleyball cast, but I wanted interesting people. And uh, and my major was in college is theater, so you know I'm gonna have theater performers, I'm gonna have musicians, I'm gonna have film actors. Jason Olive, you know he's on Tyler Perry's House of Pain, this and that. So. Um, Thank you for making this possible because people, guests like you who um, generate the interest of people who that don't play the sport. And, you know, this is just a circle jerk of, of how many people can know us. You know, I can, we can go another hour on that. But um, I really, really appreciate you coming on, man. This, this is boss. Okay. Anytime you're desperate for a guest, you call me up. I can talk all day with you. So thanks for having me. I appreciate My man. It. It's good you, to have people. You just yeah, said we, it. We need people doing it. We need people to be spreading the word and building personalities yeah. and you're giving a lot of people that opportunity and, and you're leaving people better than you found them. So thanks for what you do. Todd Sloan says, JD, you look solid for an upcoming 50, man. Don't sell yourself I short. I agree, man. Yeah. I can't believe, people wouldn't believe, if, if we tried to sign up for the dyno, they wouldn't, they'd be like, there's no way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, me, I'm just trying to protect my face. Today, you see it's a little red. I didn't protect oh, myself this morning, but Come I'm on. not trying to get no hot dog tan. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you look at Jay Gibb, right? He's his nutrition's off the page, and he shares ideas. But man, I, I, years of the sun taking it to his face. Like Jay Gibb's yeah. 40, but and I'm 50, but I ain't trying to disrespect him. I'm the one that looks like I'm 40, and he's the one that looks <laughs> like he's 50 on that one. So man, you know, when, but I'm, when but Nygaard, can't mess Nygaard with that guy's came. nutrition. Hmm? Sorry. Yeah, Nygaard came to town and and he did a clinic in 2010 mm -hmm. and he had just had his biopsy on his arm and he showed all of us. Yeah. And Ooh. that was when it like, you know, I was 25 at the time. And that's when I was like, you know what, like, wanna, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be, I get super transparent. I got kind of a, a olive <laughs> complexion. I got, well, I've got a liver thing. So sometimes I get the kind of jaundice. So the tan kind of masks that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, okay. So, um, Next you know, the but at movies. the same time, you know. <laughs> You don't, you don't want to mess with that type of stuff. So I, I tried to, cool. you know, wear long sleeves when I could. I'd, I like to compete. I didn't like wearing stuff. But anytime nice. I was off and using the sunscreen. So Awesome. All right. I'm going to run my music, but stick around after the show, okay? Um, I'm just, I, I just want to conclude this. Listen, that is the episode. This is episode 48 of the Option Podcast. For all of you at home, for all of you on your iPhones waiting to get into a restaurant watching this, for all of you on your iPads because you're walking around the house watching this, for all of you people on your desktop who runs the world, old school, old school, from my man, Brian McDermott. I am Jason DeBeas. This is episode 46. 48 and we say we're out <laughs> come check out the option podcast on optiondb.com it's also available on itunes and spotify and on youtube under the ny varsity sports handle you're gonna love what you hear